Let's bow in prayer as we begin our class. Father, as we think about the subject of the good news that you have shared with us, the evangelism, the, the gospel that you have stirred our heart with, <laughs> it does make us happy. We pray, oh Lord, that you might bless our study today and that we would joyfully think about the, the new life that we have and uh, the opportunities that we have to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our second in the series of lessons on evangelism, and I wanted to start today with one of the myths. I mentioned this book that I had received and wanted to share one of these or two of these in the, in the lessons and as something of an introduction uh, to the, the subject of today. So myth number one that is dealt with in the book, 10 Modern Evangelism Myths, a Biblical Corrective by Ryan Denton. So myth number one, theology doesn't matter when evangelizing. Theology doesn't matter when evangelizing. So the author is identifying this as a myth and is going to give a biblical corrective. So I thought it would be helpful to ask you why this myth exists. What would, what would lead people to say that you shouldn't dabble in theology when practicing evangelism? Some furrowed brows. <laughs> Abigail. Okay, good, good. Uh, I, I think that is part of it. They... Uh, some idea the, of simplifying so that the, the message would be understood. Henry. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we are afraid, I think, of being stumped by a question that we can't answer or to become engaged in a debate that we feel like uh, we're, we won't be able to get ourselves out of or to represent well. Yeah, Dan. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's very possible that we want to be liked 
rather than to offend. And the gospel is, by nature, offensive. And so we might want to tone that down or something like that. Yeah, Vicki. Ah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. If you think this is your only shot, you may think, I need to, I need to give them everything right here uh, in the first five minutes, and, and that might, uh, might overwhelm them. But if you understand that there may be other opportunities, possibly not by you, but trusting that the Lord would bring somebody else along beside that person, don't necessarily need to go into everything. I'm going to take one further step and, uh, and let you see some of the ramifications of, of the theology of the gospel and how that matters in evangelism. Because if you understand a definition of theology that just means the study of God, then every proposition of the gospel is theology, and we don't need to shy away from that is sometimes, uh, sometimes used as if theology was, was highly refined and intellectual and beyond the grasp of individuals. And uh, I think there is an element of truth in some of the things that have been said that, that it's possible that we might delve into uh, areas of theology that may not necessarily need to be brought up in the first five minutes or to be part of, the, uh, of an evangelistic uh, presentation. As, an, as a, for instance, there's this great article I, I, that I just thought of uh, that I'll have to, have to share with you that, that says that the Reformed doctrines of salvation uh, in the Reformation church, we... we are, are wanting to know the whole counsel of God, and, and this author describes it as knowing the, the A to Z of God's grace, the A to Z of the gospel, uh, that it, it embraces not only the, the love of God for sinners and Christ died, but also down into the finer points of election and predestination. And so sometimes, as this author says, we... We may uh, do a disservice by starting in the gospel with the uh, uh, RST rather than the ABCs uh, of the gospel. And that's something I think we can take to heart. Uh, so uh, in that light, the, uh, the, this helpful critique or, or criticism of theology in evangelizing can be taken to heart. But... Uh, really, every proposition of the gospel is theology, and, and it uh, has implications when what you believe about God's nature, man's nature, and his purpose to save sinners, your convictions about those things which are theological are going to have implications on the way you share the gospel. So, for instance, what... Does Reformed theology teach us about the, uh, 
about the nature of mankind. Okay, good. Nick? Totally depraved, basically bad, uh, unable to respond to, to the gospel. We are dead in our sins. What does, what, does the, uh, what does an Arminian believe about the nature of mankind? Yeah? Yeah. And must reach out to Christ uh, on its own free will, use that term, on its own free will, to reach out to Christ uh, with the gospel. So think about the, the way that influences the way we, we share the gospel. And what Denton does in his book is he, is he observes that from a reform perspective, we, we see that it, that it is God who changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It is God who converts, but he uses us instrumentally to share the gospel with individuals. And we have then, in a sense, a, uh, a freedom to speak the truth of what the Bible says about the holiness of God, about our utter need to, uh, to look to Christ for salvation and to then leave it in God's hands. Now think if, if salvation is based on someone's free will, then the pressure of evangelism comes back to us to persuade that individual so that they might be saved from the fires of hell. And there's something of uh, a responsibility that weighs upon our backs to convince, convert, cajole, twist their arm until they, they come into the kingdom. And if that's the case, then we may resort to a variety of means, including gimmicks, to try to change people's minds. Reformation view of the gospel, God gets all the glory. And in an Arminian view, the converted sinner gets at least some glory because he's chosen, uh, chosen Christ. And the evangelist gets some glory because he's the one that's, uh, that has put a notch in his Bible or, or something like that. But just some interesting observations about why theology matters in, in evangelism. Well, having dispelled that myth, <laughs> no. uh, any questions about that? Dan? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can get get entangled in wrong attitudes in 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 reformed theology and miss some of those basically really the ABCs that there is a love of God that has motivated him to send his own son. Abigail Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll take this up in another myth, the idea of the frozen chosen that Reformed people don't evangelize. And as with all of these myths, there's often a thread of truth in them. And the thread of truth here is that to our shame, other, uh, other, other churches, other denominations are often much more zealous about evangelism than we are. We do need to take that to heart, and part of our rationale for this class, and leads really well into what I'd like to talk about today, and that is, as I hinted last week, that one, one means that I think is helpful for us to be encouraged in evangelism is to, to be refreshed in our understanding of what we have received, uh, the grace that we have received, and then being motivated by that, that we have received something so great that rather than being cold or dispassionate about it, that we would then eagerly speak to others about it. I want to read from Luke chapter 18 about Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler. This is Luke 18 beginning with verse 18. Luke 18, 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. In John Leonard's book, Get Real, he talks about falling in love with the gospel all over again. And and, uh, that's what I want to emphasize today because there is a tendency in, in our minds to be able to give lip service to our conviction that salvation is by grace alone. You know, you can't deny that. That's what the Bible says. For by grace you have been saved, and uh, 
That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boasts. This is in the Navigator's memorization packet. Uh, so it's one that I, I hope that is close to your mind and close to your heart. But we can give a, a mental assent to that. We can give lip service to that. But we can, I think, tend to wrestle with the idea that salvation is by grace alone. And we tend to fall into two common ideas in this. One is the tendency to do what Leonard calls just try harder. Just try harder. And that, uh, that aspect of, of our salvation betrays the belief that surely salvation isn't just freely given to us. It must, I must do something. And if at first I don't succeed, I, I must try harder. Steve Carroll has described this as the uh, it's too good to be true message of the grace of, of the gospel. And there's something in us that's a little uh, sometimes cynical and we think, well, that's just too good to be true. Does God really, without any merit, give us salvation? Merely on his grace. Does he wipe away my sins? Does he free me from that guilt against me? That's, that's, that's just too good to be true. And our experience may run in this direction where nothing in this life is free. Nothing is gained by trying harder, uh, especially uh, things that are impossible and here, Leonard gives a, a funny illustration of the first attempts to fly, for humankind to fly. Have you seen some of the videos of the early contraptions of flying? Maybe you did this. Uh, my, my dad loved to tell the story of, uh, of the fact that when he was young, Superman was very popular in comic books and coming out in movies, and so... Uh, so he, he discerned, being a good scientist, that it must have been his cape. And so he tied a cape on his, uh, on his neck and climbed up on his garage roof and jumped off. Woke up a little while later, having knocked himself cold, and deciding it wasn't the cape. <laughs> so what did he need to do to fly? Did he need to try harder? Well, no, no, he's not going to accomplish anything by trying harder. Neither do we gain heaven by trying harder to be righteous. Neither do we gain anything by, by working more about this. And this is what Jesus lays his finger on with the rich young ruler, that his theology was off. His concept of the basis of salvation was his own works. So I hope you noticed that here comes the rich young ruler, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The key words in there, what must I do? And his emphasis was on his own works. He had a concept that his salvation was related to what he must do 
And he was living out that belief. He was living a very good life. When Jesus directs his attention to the commandments, especially what's often called that second table of the law, your relationship with others, he could confess, I have practiced these things. I've lived this out. I've been living a good life. But even before that, Jesus begins to, uh, to, to bring into his mind his own theology. He says, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. I want you to notice that Jesus is, is not having an existential uh, crisis or comment about who he was. He wasn't denying that he was God. He was talking to this man in a way that he would understand. And his comment is about him, not about Jesus, was about the ruler. Really, we should read this as being a comment about all of mankind, really about, about us. And what Jesus is confronting him with is that None of us is good. Even this ruler who thought he was good. And there's something deep down that, uh, that this man knew it. Because he, he did come to Jesus. And it's either out of, it could be that he came out of pride, asking for this a messianic prophet to say something about him, say, oh, you are a good man. You have eternal life. So there may have been pride there. Or there may have been that deep down conviction that said, I, I, I know that something is still wrong. I know that there's something else necessary for me to have eternal life. And so what Jesus confronts is, presses upon this rich young ruler to the conclusion to say, oh, I think I'm good, but really I am not. Because only one person is good, and that's God. It's not me. So, Jesus takes him by the hand, so to speak, and says, okay, you want to do something? Well, here's one more thing you need. Sell all that you have, distribute what you have to the poor, and come and follow me. Now, Jesus, again, is a clarification here. He's not putting forward a salvation based on works. This man could not have done this. He could not have fulfilled it, and no one can. Only Jesus has obeyed perfectly. And so his words are going to... Hit the rich man where it counts, so to speak. He couldn't do that. He couldn't save himself. And, and honestly, no one can. So listen to what Jesus goes on to say after this. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? 
But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So he, Jesus has confronted the rich young ruler and since has blown away his concept of his goodness and is now opening the door to speak of the grace of God. So I'll ask you, where is the grace of God in what Jesus says next in verses 24 and following? Yeah. There is salvation. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Can you save yourself by trying harder? Here, I'm applying this to, to you. It's in the concept, it's in, it's in the, the arena of our talking about evangelism. But in applying this to you, this may be a healthy corrective for you or a life-giving breath of fresh air because what is impossible for you is possible for God. And not only do we sometimes follow this tendency of just try harder? There's a corollary to that that says, well, I know that I can't save myself, so I must have faith in Jesus Christ. I must believe. But then to keep myself, I have to try harder. So we have this kind of mixture of, of Theology, a mixture of ideas that does acknowledge that I'm dead in sins, I need Jesus Christ to save me from our, my sins. But to be kept in the good graces of God, I have to try harder. I have to keep myself. Now, we will, part of the A to Z of the gospel, we know that Good works are an, an evidence of our salvation. We are fully convinced that the book of James is part of the Bible and that our works are a necessary evidence of our salvation. But we sneak them back onto the front part of the equation. I've used equation before uh, that I'll summarize that. We uh, say good works equals salvation. There's an equation. We say, well, no, that's not right. You can't be saved by your good works. So we say faith plus good works equals salvation. And we say, no, that, that's, 
That's not right either. It's faith alone by God's grace that saves us. Sometimes we will erase good works out of the situation and say faith equals salvation. We say, no, that's not right either. Good works are, are, are somewhere in there. What James says is he puts it on the evidence side of this, uh, of the equation. Faith leads to salvation plus good works. But here's where the tendency is that I'm trying to get at is that we, we sneak the good works back over here. Yeah, we have to believe, but no, there's something that we do that keeps us, keeps our redemption, keeps our salvation. We have to try harder to do that. Well, that's, uh, that cannot be uh, either. And here Jesus gives this to illustrate it. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Lots of discussion about this. I'll invite you to tell me some of the things that you've heard about this camel and the eye of the needle. What have you heard about it, this, uh, the interpretation of this passage? Yes. 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 And so the, the camel is large, the gate, uh, the, the needle's eye gate is, is narrow, and to squeeze a camel through is difficult. You may have to unload everything off of its back so that, uh, uh, so that you can get it through. Yes, I've heard that. Or somebody say it's a it's a real needle, but it's a, a needle itself is hard to even get a thread through. But imagine trying to get a rope through through the needle. It's hard, but if you, I guess, if you uh, unwind it, you might be able to get the rope through. Those two answers are leaning on the try harder side, but based on the impossibility of what Jesus says. Uh, I want you to see that it's a real camel and a real needle that Jesus is talking about. Can you get a camel through a needle's eye? Obviously not. It's impossible. And that's the point, isn't it? It's impossible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. But what is impossible for man is possible for God. And here is where I would say that falling in love with the gospel all over again is, is so beautiful. Because God has done what is impossible for you. He's given you life. He's forgiven your sins. Brought you into his kingdom. And that uh, ought to, uh, to stir your hearts with appreciation for what God has done. And so you might uh, hear what, uh, and even think this, what the disciple says, who then can be saved? And uh, you, you might even 
Begin to think about that yourself. Be applying that to yourself. Coming back into this area of thinking of salvation as something that either initially you have to try hard to receive or you have to maintain it uh, by, uh, by your righteousness and your good behavior. Theology matters here, and it is all of grace. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The salvation that we have is purely by, by his mercy. And that truth stirs up appreciation in us. It stirs up, it stirs up worship. Think in the Bible of some of those individuals who grasp what has happened to them and, and the appreciation or the worship that they give to Jesus. I invite you again to participate here. Uh, tell the stories of some of those who are converted and the appreciation that they demonstrate. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Read Luther's biography and read about how uh, how burdened he was with the knowledge of his own sin and how he tried and tried and tried to be justified in God's eyes based on his works and his repentance. He spent hours in the confessional trying to make sure that he had covered everything, only to come back the next day or come back later that day to confess something else and never having relief until he found that salvation was by the grace of God. Think of others. Abigail. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We dug into that last week. So the, the demoniac who is redeemed and is clothed and in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet, wanting to go with him, and goes out and, and tells how much God had done for him. A miracle had happened. And he wanted everybody to know about it. Dan. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Throughout the rest of his life, he, he tells that story of how improbable it was for him, an enemy of God, to be confronted with Jesus Christ and converted, and the great joy that, that he has because of that. Read the book of Galatians, another account of that, and how he's, he vigorously defends that I, I didn't do anything to deserve this. In fact, he recounts what he did do a Pharisee of Pharisees, one who, who practiced the law to the nth degree, but 
still a sinner deemed by Jesus. Well, here the point is, uh, what about you? I'll give you an assignment today, and that is to, to think of the grace that you have received and to think of it in terms of, of this lesson today of the salvation that you have that is by grace alone. And what a great gift that is. The rich young ruler went away sad because of this confrontation, still clinging to another plan of salvation and didn't grasp the grace that was being offered. I, I hope that that's not the end of the story for, for this man. And it gives, uh, gives us pause to say, are we caught up in our own self-righteousness in a way that makes us miss grace. So falling in love with the gospel all over again means taking stock of the grace that you have received in Jesus Christ. And that is, uh, that is one of the aspects that then fills your heart to overflowing and uh, leads you then to tell others about the great thing that, that you have received. You might be even saying now, well, this is old hat, I know this. Uh, and yet, I'm going to urge you to meditate on the grace of God. I want you to take seriously that assignment. Think deeply about the miracle of your new birth. Uh, think of yourself as a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. And uh, you, may have, you may be even... This week, been butting your head against the needle's wall, uh, unable to be right with God in your own righteousness. Well, find the, the great truth, what is impossible for you is possible with God. I'll pause there and ask for questions or comments. Thank you very much. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you very much for doing what uh, is impossible with us, taking away our sin and giving life to a dead soul. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would marvel over that. God, grant us to be clothed in our right minds. Uh, not fooling ourselves about our own self-righteousness, but rejoicing that, that you have granted us life. And God, out of gladness, may we worship you. Out of gladness, may we eagerly come to, uh, uh, to tell others of the gift that we have received. In Jesus' name we pray.